Welcome to Ask Me About K-Pop, the essential guide for recent converts and seasoned fans alike. My name is Shannon. And I'm Angelica. And it is such a special day because we have a special guest and we are so excited to talk to her because she has written a K-pop novel that we loved and we want all of y'all to read it. And we can't wait to talk to her about her career and this book. So please welcome to Ask Me About K-Pop, Alexandra Leo. Hi. It's so good to be here. I'm I've just I've been looking forward to this all week. So thank you for having me. This is so fun. <laughs> We've been looking forward to it too. We really have. Yes, it's an honor to have you here. You have quite an extensive background, both as a K-pop, as a music journalist in general, but also within K-pop as well. So we can't wait to hear all of it. We're going to ask you so many questions. <laughs> Good. Bring it. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> so the first question that is asked of all guests on Ask Me About K-pop is what is your K-pop origin story? How did it come into your life? What grabbed you? How did this all start for you? Yeah, my origin story is very different from most. Um, I actually started into this world when I moved to South Korea for a little artist residency. And the artist residency was like for performing arts residency. And I was like, I'm going to do some research on my own into um, the South Korean music industry because before then I was a tour manager for a few years and I was just interested to look into it um, in a foreign country. And so I got interested in um, this company called Dispatch, which was like one of the first yes. paparazzi companies in South Korea and I oh, we talk even... about dispatch all the time <laughs> <laughs> and um, I was just really interested in the kind of like the surveillance culture that was starting to crop up like in the um, you know like I was there in 2014 and so it wasn't even about the music at first it was about sort of reporting on that aspect of it and then when I was there, I mean, just K-pop is everywhere. It's like you cannot walk down the street without running into it. Like all the, you know, like cell phone ads and in the subway, you're seeing their faces on the walls. And I was like, okay, I'll just check this out. And then like I went to a show at M Countdown and I was like instantly hooked. It was like, I saw like the fans out there were just so excited and they were talking to me about it and kind of like English and Korean. And then I watched, I remember watching the, um, <laughs> Big Bang's fantastic baby music video. And uh -huh. I was like, Oh, G dragon. Yep. G -Dragon. <laughs> yep. 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 This is it. This is forever. And then that, that's what really kicked it off for me. <laughs> So is G-Dragon or Big Bang like your ultimate, your ultimate group? Definitely. Definitely the first time where I was like, this is more than just, you know, I mean, look, I listened to, I was obsessed with No Doubt when I was a kid, if that mm. tells you how old I was. Um, and I loved pop music, Third Eye Blind, bands like that. Um, but when I saw Big Bang and I like started looking into like how hard those guys worked and how much time and effort and thought and training that went into their work and their world I was like oh this is this is different and like I I admire these guys and they have a sense of humor about it and they're humble about it at the same time and um that's really what what got me I think yeah yeah because you were a, a, a tour manager for like western pop groups right and so then you're coming into this completely different music industry with a very with like the Western sort of model in your mind. So was the, the difference just so striking? It was, I mean, you know, I, in Idol Gossip, I talk a lot about like the Idol fan relationship. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's what felt the most different to me was, I think, you know, as a tour manager for bands like, like Third Eye Blind and like New Kids on the Block, there was, um, the, the fans love their idols. They love them in America, right? Mm -hmm. And they're so supportive of them. Um, but there was something more, like there was kind of a two-way street in South Korea, like when I, when I met those fans, where it was really about like, 
I'm here to support them, not just their music, but like who they are when they stumble. I'm going to be there for them when they have a success. It's my success too. And the fan, the idols similarly support their fans in that way. And I was like, wow, this is so much deeper. This relationship is so much deeper than anything that I saw as a tour manager back home. I mean, granted, like most of the shows that I went to back home was just like a bunch of screaming people in my face who like <laughs> tore at my clothes when I walked past them. Um, but no, in South Korea, it was a totally different thing. And it was really the fan, the fanship that, that was like new and interesting for me. Um, before we jump into the book, just because I'm curious. So Big Bang is what got you originally. Is G-Dragon your ultimate bias? Yes. First of all. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> Perfect. I love that. But also just wondering, are there any like more recent K-pop groups or like what is your K-pop listening habits like these days now that you're not so entrenched in the industry? Yeah, it's funny. I think I I think of myself as kind of a second wave fan. So, mm-hmm. you know, I like I I still love, you know, Girls Generation um 21 and of course Big Bang, but now I like I really like like I was listening to Itzy this morning. Okay. Um <laughs> and um who like my one of my favorite songs of the last few years is Forever Young by Blackpink, which I mean yeah, sure. partially because of my last name, but also because <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> so um yeah, and I think like my listening habits, man, I mean I listen, well, I live with my boyfriend and he's been living in K-pop against his will for the last five years. My husband is doing the same for like eight, so I totally yeah. get it. Yes, I know about your husband and skills. <laughs> um, and so a lot of my listening happens like when my boyfriend's out, you know, he's working out, I will put some on and I will dance around the house. I will work out. I will get it out of my system. And then he comes home and then I put something a little bit more adult on. Sure. Sure. Um, All right. Well, we really want to talk a lot about your new book, Idol Gossip. Um, But we're going to try really hard not to spoil the book too much because we definitely want all of you listeners reading it. And we'll probably do book club on Patreon once uh, all of our giveaway copies are out and everybody has a book in their hands. We'll play book club. So uh, we want to talk about the book, though. So, um, yeah, let's get started. Let's do it. So your new book, Idol Gossip, it follows a young K-pop trainee who only has five months to debut. And there's a really great blend of fictional characters with some factual K-pop history, like the infamous Black Ocean. Um, so how did your time working in the K-pop industry influence or inspire the world of your book? So I... I, I I don't, without giving any way, any spoilers, <laughs> another character in the book is um, a blogger. Her name is V. And I, you know, when I was reporting my episode for Radiolab and also when I was researching this book, I spent a lot of time learning about the industry through people's personal blogs and through reading sites like Netizen Buzz. I don't know if you know about yes, that. Yeah. And it's like, that's the o- that was the only way, because I don't speak Korean fluently, that was like one of the only ways that I could understand what fans thought and how they spoke about idols. So I really wanted to represent that in the book. Not I, I, I wanted to represent the idol side of it too, but I also wanted to represent the fan side and show that they were a big part of um, why idols want to be idols and also what makes them successful. So that was part of it. Um, in terms of things like the Black Ocean, I, I, you know, I, when I was doing my research, I could see the media side of it. I saw the way the media represented things like that or the way that idols were represented um, on the screen. And so with this book, like, I had a lot of fun experimenting and thinking about, like, if I was on the other side, if I could get into idols' heads, um, you know, what would they be thinking and feeling? I remember watching some talk show, like, some therapy session with Girls' Generation where they were asked to respond, like, what did it feel like when you went through the Black Ocean? And, you know, they're trained um, to have certain answers and to be very, you know... um, 
you know, just to, to give an answer that, that is like intimate and that the, their fans would appreciate, but also isn't too intimate. And so I was like, man, I really want to get in, I, I want to get into that moment and understand like psychologically what would, what would an idol feel and think during that moment. So, um, those were the kinds of things that I was, I was like balancing my research with, you know, just like really imagining what it would feel like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your book is really, it's a fun narrative structure because, which makes it like a really easy and great engaging read that you go back and forth between like the blog posts and the comment sections and then the sort of narrative chapters where we get the idol's point of view. And so would you say that like the, that's kind of where you're towing the line between fact and fiction of like the idol narrative chapters are maybe a little bit more like based in your own imagination. Um, whereas the, more like K-pop historical fiction <laughs> comes in through the through the blog posts and comment sections. Exactly, like exactly right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you nailed it. I I didn't want to stay. I mean, it is a work of fiction, and I didn't want it to feel like. I wanted the true K-pop fans who've read this book to feel like, oh, this author knows what she's talking about. She's not just a tourist in this world. She's also done her research. And so that was what, you know, V and the blog posts were, was hoping to fulfill that. But I also wanted people to feel like, oh, this is not a group that I know. This is like a totally new thing. And I'm not going to, of course, people will project onto to the characters in the groups, but I wanted it to feel like, oh, this is a new, a new thing. And, and I wanted to get really creative with it. I didn't want it to be, um, yeah, like a, like I was writing a report on K-pop or something. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I got to compliment you and say, I think you did an absolutely wonderful job as K-pop historians that feel like we know everything about K-pop. We enjoyed this book so much and we're texting each other back and forth. And and Helika said that like, it feels like one of our friends like wrote a book. Yeah. There were just certain (laughs) phrases and certain ways that you would like describe things that I was like, oh my God, she's such a true fangirl. Like she gets it. (laughs) There was something about like the way that you described one of the characters' mouths and like the narrator is like, oh, that pouty mouth. And I was like, this is such a fangirl. I love it. It was great. You nailed it. (laughs) I have to tell you, can I tell you guys a secret? This is, this is like my big secret. I, when I listened to your episode about Shine, (laughs) I was like, Oh no! <laughs> and I reread Idol Gossip, and I was like, "Oh, I did a terrible job. Like they're gonna no. hate it." So I I'm do so not. Relieved. I completely disagree. We completely disagree. We completely oh, disagree. So we were mad at Jessica idea. because Jessica was there for real, and we wanted her to give us some kind of real, and she didn't. Yeah. And yeah, but we. I mean. There were so many moments in Shine where we were like, did this person know anything about K-pop? And it was like supposed to be Jessica Young. So it was definitely a, a different experience reading. Okay, I also, that. I think it was a different experience too and that I found that the main character of your book, Alice Choi, like is a much more relatable character. I personally found her very frustrating in a lot of moments. Like I cared about her deeply, but I felt like she was like not communicating properly. And I was just like, (laughs) I wanted to shake her, but that was so much more intriguing and like more fun to read than like everyone's jealous of me because I'm so good, (laughs) which was the point of shine. And so like this felt like much more dynamic and all of the characters were really three dimensional. And like, I liked the world that you built. Oh, thank you guys so much. I so appreciate that (laughs) coming from you too. It's just like, Oh, you made my, my year. Ah, Thank you. So with some of the story being inspired in this sort of historical fiction kind of way, you said that you wanted to create a like a new experience where people weren't necessarily reading these characters and thinking like, oh, that's this idol, that's this idol, that's this group. But did you draw from any real life inspiration or idols when you were creating these characters or these fictional K-pop groups? Definitely. So when, so I wanted Exo Kiss to be kind of a, Girls' Generation, Lionheart era sort of group. Okay. Um, that's who I had in my mind vaguely as I was writing them. Um, and then, you know, when I was writing about the um, their single, Today, Tonight, um, 
uh, A-list single. I, I listened to um, 21's I Am The Best like a billion times because <laughs> that was really the model for it. I love, I mean, this is a very common thing in K-pop where you have like all of a sudden like a complete shift in, um, you know, in style and in, in like BPM even sometimes. And I wanted their, their single to do that, um, to have that moment where it just like suddenly shifts and there's a theme in the book, you know, turn on the light or turning off the light. And like, maybe like Alice kind of starting to slowly understand her privilege throughout the book. And I wanted that's the song structure that they sang to kind of emulate or echo that sort of like turning on the light for her too. So that song was a huge inspiration for two day, two night in terms of its, um, its song structure in my head. Um, I was actually going to ask you guys, because one of the things I've been talking a lot to, um, or I have been mentored a lot by Axie O, who wrote this amazing K-pop novel, um, EXO. It just came out, and she's kind of been my mentor through this whole process. And she was, she told me a while ago, she was like, one of the coolest things when your book publishes will be hearing what people think um, your your characters, like what idols your characters are modeled after. And I was like, oh my God, I can't wait for that. So I wanted to hear from you two if you saw anybody that oh, I might not yes. have seen. You can go first. Absolutely. Have... Oh, she's pulling up notes. <laughs> she's like, yes, I know. Um, I like, just like, I think that I was picturing uh, A-list's vibe as a group to be red velvety. Like, I think that's like what I was kind of imagining. Yes. Um, And then like MSB, I was trying to decide if MSB was supposed to be like a BTS allegory, like that's how huge they are. Or like, I was trying to figure out like who MSB might be, but like picturing characters in my mind, June looked like Joshua Hong from Seventeen. (laughs) And um, Aria looked like Doyeon from Wiki Miki because she oh, was like described Ooh. as being like tall and Good so choice. beautiful and like so that was like who I was picturing. In I my pictured mind. Joy as okay, Aria yeah. because she was like the tall leader who had been like a trainee for so long, and I, I didn't really have a lot of images in my mind for um, like specific groups, but I definitely pictured the company as being an allegory for SM and we are SM biases. So like, that's probably where part of that came from, but just in like the description of like the way that the trainee process happened and like some of that the they had a history, like a history. Yeah. It wasn't like a new up and coming verging on bankruptcy company. Mm-hmm. It seemed really established. And- yeah. Definitely. S- yes, definitely. I did a lot of research into SM for sure. Like they were supposed to be, like kind of a legacy group like that Mm -hmm. and then msb like i would say i didn't i didn't think it would be believable if msb was a bts like emulation i just didn't think that would be believable so i think you guys were really spot on with that but yeah um that is so cool (laughs) that's really cool um sort of similarly i'm just curious because in sorry I don't want to compare your book to shine it's different but I'm just saying in shine there was no real anything probably to keep Jessica from getting in trouble but your book like references EXO as existing and like M Countdown is a show so like what was your decision for like what real aspects of k-pop to keep in Yeah, that's a really good question. And one that I kind of had to keep answering over and over for myself as I wrote the book, because I did, I wanted it to feel, it's funny, I think when you're reading a book about something you really love, and they make up, you know, place names or band names, and they're trying to make it sound like the real thing, it often is like, nice try. <laughs> like that sound, yeah, I get like you're trying really hard to make that sound like, you know, a band that would be in that genre, but it sounds silly, you know? And so I wanted there to be like, I wanted to create my own world, but I also wanted to pay homage to like the things that I love about K-pop. And I wanted it to feel like it could be set in, in the real world that existed. So I think I drew the line where it was like anything that was inside Alice's immediate worlds, like in, in the, um, in her entertainment company and like even at the dream concert, um, 
Like she wasn't going to share the stage with a real, with a real group. Um, but she did, you know, South Korea is a real place, <laughs> sure. places, you know, so it's like, that's real. And like those, some of those idols and entertainment companies exist in the world she's in, but she's not butting up against them. So that's where I drew the line. Yeah. And you did so much research, obviously, for creating this whole world. Did you do a lot of research when it came to those K-pop groups that you made up in the book, like EXO Kiss, for example? Did you have to imagine, you know, their whole discography or come up with member (laughs) profiles for them? I did for, you know, this was a hard thing because there were so many characters in this book. Um, there was five and A-list and there's all the teachers and the minders and, you know, Alice and Olivia, the two, you know, main characters and the parents. And so I, I, I kind of ha- needed to draw the line somewhere. Like I couldn't totally build out Exo Kiss and I couldn't totally build out MSB because it'd just be too many characters to introduce. But I did, you know, with, with Soyeon, I loved thinking about like, you know, what were some concepts that she loved and how would that contrast with Alice's, like what, she, what kind of concepts she would be interested in. And then I really, you know, I thought through like the trajectory of June's um, releases, like what was his, like what kind of concepts did he have before his current one? And like, I liked the idea of like, first he, like maybe his first album was like something, lighter and then he then he did a like a couple albums after that and then he finally did his first dark concept right and then his first dark concept was like a big turning point for him and it's when he could really delve into himself into his music and so I thought about it on that level I think with the with those main characters I loved that conversation or that moment with June too when he was talking about the darker concepts um that conversation like between him and Soya and, and Alice felt like so realistic as far as like it really felt like that was something that idols would have a conversation about behind the scenes and the way that he described like yeah that wasn't a very popular concept because it was so different but I really got a lot out of it or something like I just thought that the reflection piece of it felt very much like a conversation you might hear idols have yeah I feel like Mm -hmm. I've definitely like I've heard that a lot of times it seems like with idols when concepts are not popular with the public, those are often, they're like, but that was my favorite one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really liked doing that. So yeah, it was a good, it was a good little combo. <laughs> Thank you. That's a very common conversation that I hear too, like with bands that I've worked with where it's like, um, you know, our fans just want us to play our singles, but like my B-side or like my little song that no one loves, like that's my favorite one to perform. And it's like, they have to balance that when they um, do shows. It's like, yes, we, we want to give them their bangers, but we also want to do the stuff that makes us like, that fulfills us that we like to perform too. Yeah. And that's a difficult line with K-pop in particular, because there is so much creative control from the companies as opposed to the idols themselves when it comes to choosing their concept or anything like that. And I thought that was a, a well-written piece of your book, the way that the the sort of company control over certain aspects of their lives and the way that the company would like react to certain things. Um, I thought that was a well, it was well included because it is such an important thing. And there's so many, I think, like misconceptions about K-pop and companies and the way that it works and the type of control they have over their idols. And I thought you did a really good job of sort of explaining that world in a realistic and non, like, I can't think of the word, but a way that did not condemn it. You know what I mean? It wasn't like these K-pop companies are evil. It was more of like these K-pop companies have a model. They're making an investment. This is like a business. And this, these are the reasons that they're making the choices they're making. Um, so well done. Thank you. I no, it's, I'm so glad you think that because you know, I, I, that, that first episode that I made about, um, uh, the K-pop industry for radio lab, the, about the, paparazzi company there I I my one regret about that episode is that it it kind of vilified um well it really vilified the entertainment companies and and it made um idols look like such victims and um and I know that there were some fans who listened to that and it was just like oh another media company like um condemns you know, dark the thing side that of we K-pop, love the dark side of dark K-pop side of and K-pop the dorms thing. and blah 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 and so 
I think Idol Gossip was like my second attempt to show that it's like way more complicated than that and way more dynamic than that. Like there is a reason why so many, you know, thousands of people want to dedicate their lives to this thing. And because it is because like it can be like it can be hard and it can be grueling and sometimes it can be scary, but it it's also really fulfilling and satisfying and like people this is their dream and this is their art. And I wanted to show both of those things in this book. Yeah. I also thought like, how do I word this without being spoilery? (laughs) (laughs) Always the trick. That there, hmm, there's a specific um, post from V that is sort of raising the question of whose fault it is when there is backlash against idols that I thought was like really interesting really interesting yes (laughs) (laughs) yes I hmm okay I don't want to give anything away either yeah so you know when I lived in South Korea I talked to to a lot of my friends who are Korean nationals they talked to me about that about the news media and about the the kind of k-pop industry and about the society in which they lived and that like all of those things like um, about what's like permissible or taboo in popular culture in South Korea, like all of that is very much wrapped up in K-pop, like is on display and is like there's the tension is there. And so and like I'm not going to spoil this either, but like <laughs> June has a thing. Yeah. <laughs> and um I I wanted to touch on that too. Um and just kind of play around with that and like V the blogger let me do that. Since we're on the topic of V, I loved that character. She to me was like one of the more dynamic characters in the book and I thought the way that you created her character arc was brilliant in the sense that like she's a character that we never actually see on the page. We only know her through her posts and her comment sections, but she is a really great character arc through the story. And I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit more about her and what you kind of wanted her to represent. Yeah. So when I went to M Countdown the first time, um, you know, I remember there was a lot of people out front who had like the most expensive cameras I've ever seen, you know, the, with the lenses that are like the so size big. of the desk. Yeah. <laughs> that I'm on. And they're, and, and I was struck by how young they were. Um, they, some of them looked like they were in high school and it was definitely during school hours when I went <laughs> and I was like, I was really interested in them. And I was like this, I, I don't think you're professionals. Uh, I don't think you're doing this for like a company, um, I don't think this is just for you either, you know? And so I, I did some research into like, who could those people be like, and what are they doing? Um, and I learned that there was, you know, there were people who there are mostly girls and young women who, um, who they devote a lot of their lives to documenting, um, idols and their comings and goings, um, for the fanships and like, they're beloved because they're doing this work that people want. And like, they're, they, I think a lot of people love them because it's like, you're, you're not the paparazzi. You're, you're doing this because you care and you want to, you want to dedicate yourself to this and you're doing us an enormous favor by doing this. And so, um, I wanted to play around with that. And like, I, I think V got too caught up in it and, like, I could see, like, I could imagine someone getting lost in that, you know, um, and trying to figure out where the line is between, like, this is, I, I am a fan, or I, I, I'm supporting this person to, like, I'm, I'm crossing the line, I'm, like, going overboard here, I'm getting jaded because of, like, how much this is taking up my time, and so she, she, she was really inspired by them, um, and I, like, I will say, I don't think anyone I met there that day was a V type character. I, I, you know, I wanted her to be like villainous a little bit um, Mm -hmm. just for the sake of the book. But yeah, I was really interested in that. 
No, she felt very, very real, especially yeah. her extremely snarky replies and like her comment replies were, oh my God. So I was like, <laughs> I hate this woman. <laughs> but like, oh my gosh, I know there was one part where she was like, like, uh, when the moment when you were talking about like who's to blame and she talks, she has a line about something about like, I am not the cancer. I am the doctor like show, like is showing, shining the light on the infected parts or whatever. And I like highlighted that and I was like, <laughs> this woman, like the, the irony, like the hypocrisy. And I was like losing my mind because she was, she was so dynamically written. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'd love to see your book, your copy of the book with the highlights. That would yeah. be so cool to see. Oh, my <laughs> furious note taking. <laughs> Um, okay, this next question is a bit of a diversion, but I am okay. curious. So the main character of the book, Alice, is Chinese-American, and she moved to Seoul for her mom's job. Did you have a specific motivation for writing her as a foreign idol, specifically not even a Korean one? Yes, 100%. I, <laughs> I love that you asked this question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, you know, I'm not Korean-American, I'm not Korean-national, and I wanted to write from, to use this term that's been totally overused, I wanted to write from an authentic perspective because I knew that I couldn't write from the perspective of someone who was, who came of that culture. And I wanted to be really delicate about that um, and, and to respect that. And, and also, you know, a, a lot of Alice's character arc, um, it, it reflects something that I went through when I was in, in South Korea. That was my experience there, like feeling like a fish out of water. And, you know, I spent a lot of time with um, people my own age who spoke very little English and feeling like I was on the inside some of the time and on the outside some other times. And I wanted to reflect that feeling. But also, like, there's this, you know, the th one of the themes in the book is is, you know, Alice's sort of, like, privilege and obtuseness to her own privilege and um I'll admit I was the same way when I was there I I remember you know one of the last nights of my artist residency I was doing a, a presentation about my work that I had done and I was talking about like you know this residency, this is so embarrassing now in hindsight, but I, I said, like, this residency um, was incredible. It taught me that, like, if I put my mind to something, I can do it. Nothing can stand in my way. Something stupid like that. And I remember there was a woman in the crowd who raised her hand, and I kind of knew her, and she was like, don't you think, though, that that was easier for you because you're an American and you could just, like, the people, this is, like, an international residency and they were just, like, open to you coming in and doing something different? Don't you think if you were, you know, from Korea, this would be a lot harder for you? And I was, like, stunned and I was, like, yes, you are totally right. And, like, this whole time I've been here, I've been thinking about, like, me being here and like what it's like to be immersed in this culture and how different it is for me but I was never ever thinking like what is my impact as an American on the people that I'm spending time with and how must they view me and so I, I just I, that was a, that was something that I wanted to explore in Alice and something that she is also grappling with um in the book Nice. Um, yeah, I loved, I liked that she was a foreign idol. And I also really liked the way that you worked in the language barrier because she doesn't really speak Korean. And I thought it was really interesting that rather than making it this almost like unconquerable obstacle, the whole time her not speaking Korean was just a very manageable challenge right it was like well fine you're taking Korean lessons like we'll get a translator like the trainers can tell yeah. the Korean directions and then they'll talk to you and like a lot of the members had been taking English lessons so I thought it was very accurately represented because there are so many idols that don't speak Korean and that have to learn like they get uh, picked or scouted or cast or whatever without knowing the language already and it's just like well it's fine we'll just teach you yeah. Yeah. And fortunately for, for Alice and for me when I was there is like so many people do speak English because they have to learn it from a pretty young age. 
Um, and so, like, even that she, like, completely takes for granted, you know? Like, if you go to another country, like, that doesn't have, a, and, you know, that English is not, you know, prioritized, like, you'd be so screwed. <laughs> you'd be so screwed. Yeah, I was thinking about that because, like, in my experiences in Korea, like, people won't let me speak Korean to them. They want yeah. to talk in English. So they exactly. just like, they want to practice English with you. So you don't ever get that opportunity. But it is interesting that Alice is lucky in that she speaks English because thinking about like members of 17 that came in speaking Chinese and none of the Korean members speak Chinese. Mm -hmm. So like they had, they had like a much harder time trying yeah. to adapt and had to learn Korean much faster. Whereas like, because she speaks English and everybody also speaks English. Yeah. She like, doesn't have that push to get to like be fully immersed in the language. That is interesting. Exactly. I thought, I think about the, I thought about the, the like Chinese speaking idols all the time because like it would be so much more difficult for you. Um, cause I, I mean just the, so many fewer people speak Chinese than English there. So, mm. um, yeah, I thought about that too. Yeah, I just that made me think of. Um, I always think of this story of Win Win and Ten from NCT and Wavy. Uh, Win Win's from China and Ten is from Thailand. And so when they first became trainees, they didn't have any language in common. And so for the first like two years of their bunking together, they communicated almost entirely through sign language. And like that's so freaking bananas. Wow, <laughs> like, that's that is so crazy. crazy. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved how you had like, I loved that all the members of A-List of Alice's group have sort of different levels of English. And so like there is the member who like she obviously tries really hard to extend the hand of friendship to Alice, but they don't have that common language. So I think Alice never really takes advantage of it um, in ways that were frustrating yeah. to me as a reader. I was like, be friends with I loved members. her, but I was like, girl, please try. You have to try at least. Like, you don't look, know what's good for you. She's trying. <laughs> Come exactly. on, it's right in front of your face. I know. I know. It was like, so young thinks of her members as her family. Like, you need to be doing that too. But I will say that was another part that I really did enjoy about the book and I don't think this is too much of a spoiler which is that like her group was kind to her and mm -hmm. that they cared about her and there wasn't like a bully character trying to ruin her life like yeah. they were trying to help her she was the one like refusing their sabotaging help. herself yeah <laughs> yes there are two things I didn't want to do in this book. I didn't want to have, there are two, look, there were a lot of tropes in my book, you know, like sure. it's hard to avoid with a YA novel, especially. Um, but there are two things I didn't want to do. I didn't want there to be like a bully mm -hmm. or if there were bullying, I wanted it to feel, I wanted the person doing the bullying to feel like a full person, not just like that was their only personality trait that yeah. they were a bully. And then I didn't want there to... Ooh, I don't want to say this because I don't want to spoil it. So never mind. <laughs> I'll tell you later. We'll save that for later. We have a few questions if we have time that we'd like that are spoilery and we can cut them and save them for book club okay, when the okay. book gets spoiled because we do have to ask you okay, okay. yes 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 <laughs> would love to but i i did particularly like that there was there wasn't the like within the company itself it seemed like the trainees and the idols were all very supportive of each other and there was not that sense of like well, I need to be the one who shines brighter than the rest of the group. It was like, no, we're in this together. And like, even though you're not in my group, I'm going to support you. Or like, our fans are going to support you because you're a member of our company. And that kind of like, that system of support that I think we do see a lot from like idol interviews and stuff. And I think fans usually question like the reality of how well these people really get along. <laughs> but I mean, I think there's a lot to be said about the fact that these trainees do in many ways grow up together. So it doesn't yeah. feel unrealistic to me reading it and saying like, oh, they all get along. Like, no, I, I believe it. That would be for like, the good I, of I the group it. that everybody get along. Yeah. I think like, I'm that, sure it doesn't happen all the time. No, no. I mean, I think it's like, you know, we all went to high school. Like we, we know what it was like that. Like, of course there are people that, you're not going to get along with and you're going to have troubles, but like just because you're on the football team, it doesn't mean you're not going to support the track team. Like just, you know what I mean? Of course yeah. there are people who don't, but like, it's just the same thing. It's the thing you, you grow up together, you're learning together. Like there's going to be cross pollination. I think, mm -hmm. um, I actually, you said something that made me, I, I really want to touch on because 
I think like, I think K-pop fans get like a really bad rap um, in mainstream media. And like, even when I talk about this book with, um, you know, adults uh, who know nothing about this world, they, they'll be like, like the first thing they talk about, you know, I work at the New York Times and the first thing they talk about is like, the the um the Trump rally that the fans mm. like spoiled crash the and, ticket site or whatever yeah yeah crash the ticket site and like they're so maniacal and like they the like they they can do anything like they can hurt people you know and and I really with this book like it's like no that yes it's powerful yes the fanship dynamic is really powerful and they do come together um but not just for scary bad things like for for like amazing things um and so like you were saying like I I wanted there to be um I'm trying so hard not to spoil (laughs) (laughs) yes I wanted to talk about that too (laughs) yeah and that I thought really stood out to us in particular because of sort of the like thesis of our podcast is kind is based in changing the perception of K-pop and being kind about it. And the idea that like fans can be responsible and supportive and we could be critical of the media we love without being derogatory toward idols or each other. And I think that that's a really major theme in your book, not just kindness in general, which was lovely, but also the relationship between idols, their fans, and the entertainment media. Um, So to get kind of into that topic, what do you think makes the relationship between idols and their fans and maybe even the media? the sort of web of relationships what makes that unique yeah like I said earlier it 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 is I think it's it's so much more than just the music and like the outfits and the the music videos it's about like I'm just thinking about like when idols end up doing their like their their military service um and how just like these the facets of their life um that aren't necessarily top of mind for, you know, maybe Western fans of Western groups. Um, and I know that's not totally true. Like, I know that they're, like, you know, my my cousin, my little cousin who's a teenager, She's she loves Taylor Swift, and she knows so much about T-Swift's life and, um, you know, what she's up to on a Saturday. Um, but I think, you know, K-pop fans, they, they, they are, like, they know you know, that they're sick and they, or they're hurt and like, we'll, we'll send them well wishes and like, they'll be concerned for them. And then, uh, yeah, like when they have successes, it's like I said, it's like they, they share in their successes and idols, like (laughs) idols are also, they just, they, it's like, this is for you. Like Western Mm -hmm. idols, they say like, yeah, without you, I'd be nothing. But I like really believe it. When when K-pop idols say it, it's like, no, this is like, this is a, we're in a relationship together. And it's not just like a relationship that my entertainment company like manufactured so that you'd like me more. It's like, I really like think about you and like want this to succeed because of you. Um, And so I like, again, that's like, that really like, I was touched by that when I, when I first started delving into this world. Um, and I think it's really cool. Yeah. Similarly, like there's a conversation in the book where June basically tells Alice that like all of these sacrifices that they have to make, like that he's not happy to do them, but like that it is part of it, which I think was really interesting because in those like dark side of K-pop articles, you know, they talk about like, they're slaves and they can't go anywhere and they can't do anything. But like June is very much like, yeah, I don't get privacy. Like, and I have to sneak around and do these kinds of things, but like, this is for my fans and I owe them this. And we worked this hard. And like, there just seems to be like an understanding of like the sacrifices that they have made Mm -hmm. to be these idols. And the real faith and like trust that he has in the MSB fandom, I thought was also really striking because there's certain moments in the book where he's like, don't worry, my fans would never let this go poorly or things like that. And he just has this like, 
unconditional faith in his fans <laughs> that I thought was like very refreshing. And to me as a reader, I was like, oh no, like, is this going to blow up in everybody's face? Oh, no. <laughs> but then I was just like, oh God, like what's going to happen? But no, like his faith was, was not unfounded and without getting spoilery. But, um, but yeah, I thought that was like really, I thought that was a really beautiful moment in the book. The, the way that June in particular and Sohyun to met to a lesser degree, cause she just doesn't talk about it that much, but like the way that they viewed their fans and the relationship between their fans was really interesting. Yeah. And like, there's the, there's a scene earlier in the book, um, where he talks about something the fans did to surprise him mm-hmm. and, um, where it was like, yes, they're giving me something. And like, yes, I have to work really hard. Yes, I have to make sacrifices. But like, look what I get. Like, this is um, unbelievable. Like, that to me is fulfilling and fun and exciting and exactly like what I want in my life. And like, I'm willing to do this stuff because that is like, that is magic, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, and we've talked about that in the show too when we sort of delved into like what fandom culture is and what something that always strikes me as a, a good example of that give and take is the idea of like fan chance, for example, right? Because it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, the group has worked really hard to prepare this performance totally. for you. So we as the fans are going to do our homework and we're going to work really hard to show them that we love it and that we yeah. support it. Um, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's just a totally different kind of, Give and take. It turns the song into a duet. It does. Yes, a duet. Yes, it totally does. (laughs) I know. I love that. I know. When I saw that at M Countdown the first time, I was just like, holy, this is so, like, much. You're going above and beyond as a fan, you know? You're not just singing the lyrics back or you're not singing with your artists. You're, you're like, coming up with something new and, like, evolving the work together. And that's just so cool. I've missed yeah. fan chants so much for the last two years. It's been like every time I watch something old that has fan chants in it, I'm like, oh my God, it used to be like this. <laughs> or sometimes the new M Countdown performances will like pipe have pre-recorded recorded fan, fan chants. And I'm like, oh, the fan chants. <laughs> the empty stages just don't have the, they don't have the same oomph without the fans there. <laughs> The fan, the piped-in fan chants are like, uh, you know, the piped-in uh, U.S. Open uh, crowd. Okay. When they, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, but you have been, you know, you got into the K-pop in K-pop around the same time we did in like 2014. Um, have you seen? I know you've kept in not in touch, but you've kind of kept in the world of K-pop throughout the years. Have you seen that relationship, whether between the idols and their fans or the involvement of the media itself, have you seen that relationship change over the years since you were in Korea yourself? Yeah. I mean, what you guys were just talking about, like I've, uh, about kind of the mission of your show about like, you know, appreciating and like lauding this world that you love so much, but also being realistic about it and like understanding. I, I'm i not sure if it's if it was my own evolution or if this is actually like a trend that's happened. But I feel like um, like the the fandoms and also the media has been more forgiving and like it's like, oh, yes, these 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 people are, you know, elevated and they're like on a, on a pedestal, but also they're still human and we're going to be more forgiving of them when, you know, within reason, um, when they stumble and, um, and like, just because I talk about critically about something that someone does or, um, you know, maybe I don't like, a song or a concept or something, it doesn't mean that I don't like them or that I'm like over them or something. Um, and it's just like a much more nuanced relationship that I think is really, really healthy. And why I just love listening to you too, because it's like, yes, you can be, you can like make fun and you can be critical, but it's like so clearly born of love. And I, I feel like that is like over the last like decade or two has changed radically. And I find it very refreshing. So, well, thank you for saying that. That's definitely something we hope that comes across. Sometimes we're always a little worried. We're like, was that too mean? <laughs> <laughs> Never but, yeah. mean. but, but I agree. I do think that there's been a, 
an evolution for the better of the of the relationship, especially between like the media and the way that they um, that they report on certain things as well, and kind of like wait to hear certain statements yeah. before jumping to conclusions and they kind of totally like, this is all the information we have right now um as yeah. opposed to like coming out of the gate and being like this guy did this as, <laughs> and we kind of like give give idols a little bit more leeway in some in some scenarios but of course there's always your extremes I think that media reaction is really like because they had to because fans were like screw you like you don't know anything yet like don't don't just jump to conclusions like that's not fair and so they've had to adapt to like the fan reaction which I think is really cool like it's a way that fans have had a positive impact on the industry so yeah well the only other question we have that is specifically about um sort of your writing process has to do with the way that you described like the experience and the mechanics of singing because Alice your main character is a main vocal and like her big challenge is that she she can't dance right but the way that you described singing was so vivid and Shannon and I are both singers so we were reading it thinking like oh my god like this is exactly like some of our voice lessons would go like the experience of auditions but you've stated in press releases that you're not a singer yourself so how did you bring that performance trainee experience to life like because you did so very vividly like not many people know about like abduction and those kinds of things so we were I was sitting here reading like she's really not a singer like (laughs) that's oh what a relief okay yes I know that you two know a lot about singing and I that's like one of the reasons I love listening to your show because you can like actually critique um but I yes so first of all my little sister who Olivia Olivia. she is she's 20 years old and her whole life has been her dream has been to be a famous singer. Uh, it used to be she wanted to be a Broadway star and she went to, you know, performing arts school for that. Um, and now I think it's changed a little bit. She's getting into yeah, acting. Performing but, arts yeah. school will break you like that. Oh, I, yeah. I oh my God. That. Yeah. And she, a lot of like what I wrote about is based off of stories that she's told me or, you mm. know, her experiences. And, um, and so like I've the last, you know, decade I've watched her like struggle through her singing lessons and her you know hiccups in her training and so I've learned a lot from her and I watched a lot of YouTube videos and tried to teach myself how to sing so that I could write about it in this book yeah oh my gosh that's brilliant (laughs) I was like what would it be like to act and I did this with dancing too I took I took a, um, a bunch of like um, YouTube dance lessons and singing lessons to see what it would feel like as a person who didn't know how to dance, like suddenly have to do it. Um, so I was like watching like intermediate dance classes, um, and feel, and like flailing around the house and (laughs) and then writing about it later. And then, um, watching some advanced singing lessons and seeing like how the teachers directed their students and like what, how the students struggled, Um, and so, yeah, I just did that for months and then wrote about it. (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Well, your research really paid off because it was very believable and very relatable. Yeah. (laughs) Really? Yeah. (laughs) When it first started and she was talking about at the beginning, when she was talking about singing and karaoke and what it feels like when you're just like in the pocket and flying and then like saying how much she hated auditions and how she always bombed auditions. I was like, Oh my God, I know all about this. Mm -hmm. Like girl. Um, yeah, I I will, I will say that part specifically the kind of like euphoria part of it. So that is actually comes from me because I used to play flute, play the flute when I was little. So for like 15 years I played and there, I used to experience that feeling of like hitting the moment where I could like my brain could turn off and your body mm. just sort of takes over and you're just like outside yourself. You're mm-hmm. flying. And so that part really came from me. But the rest of it, the technical stuff, yeah, I had to learn. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did a great job capturing it. Thank Excellent. you. You're so nice. <laughs> um. Well... Alex, it's so lovely to meet you. We really enjoyed reading our, your book. We hope that all of our listeners enjoy it too. Can you plug like when it's out, where to get it, that kind of stuff? 
Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yes, I have loved this so much. This is, I was fangirling the whole time <laughs> because I can't believe I'm talking to you. Um, Idol Gossip comes out September 14th. You can pre order it now. And if you do, you are eligible to get um, a pre order gift. It's a sticker that I had designed with the members of A List. I'm going to show it to you right <gasps> now so you can see it. Look at <laughs> Oh my god, I With love it. With their black and white concept. Yay. Oh, I love yes. it. And you even have the the costumes like you described in the book. Yes, the corset exactly. and the dress shirt. Amazing. Oh my god. I love it. My my friend Elle, who's a she's a street artist, she designed this and she read the book and then, you know, designed the costumes based off of the way I wrote about them. Um and so you can get this if you pre-order it now and then um September 14th is when it comes out officially and I would just be so delighted if you bought it. It would be amazing. <laughs> yes, we can't recommend it enough. We thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a fun read from start to finish. And if for any seasoned fans that have been listening to this podcast, you will definitely pick up on a lot of great kernels of truth in this K-pop historical fiction. I thought it was perfect. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Alex. Thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. All right, we are back. And it was so nice to talk to Alex, but we have to do a regular episode and do a random game. <laughs> um, and this week, the random number generator gave us CLC. Which is an acronym for Crystal Clear, which I did not know until just now. Um, they are a girl group formed by Cube Entertainment in 2015. Um, they originally debuted in 2015 with five members um, and released an EP and a digital single. And then in 2016, they did their third EP, which was called Refresh, and they had added two members, even though one of the new members was currently like participating in Produce 101 at that moment. Yeah, Cube stated that she had been a member of the original lineup, but then had been dropped and then put back on, et cetera, whatever. So she wasn't able to promote their single from Refresh, which was called High Heels. Um, and she's not in the music video either, but she joined them afterward. Yeah, and they had like quite a few uh, concepty changes throughout their time. Like they started out very innocent girl group. We're just doing bouncy bubblegum music. And then in, where is it? 2017. 2017, they did their concept or their comeback Hobgoblin, which was like choreographed by Hyuna and was like styled by Hyuna and was very like Hyuna style. Mm -hmm. And then they did a lot of different back and forth from then on. But unfortunately, CLC hasn't done anything in a really long time. Their fans have been like complaining, get them out of the basement, where's CLC? All the members are doing like solo stuff right now. And very, very recently, like two weeks ago from when we were recording this, uh, Eugen is currently on Girls Nine Nine, Girls Planet 999, where they're making new girl groups or some kind. It's some kind of competition. Anyway, she said in an interview that CLC will, quote, no longer be working as a team. Cube has not confirmed or denied this. Yeah, she said that's what Cube told her, and Cube didn't respond. And before that, in just a few months earlier, in December of last year, 2020, one of the members sent a legal notice to Cube in trying to terminate her contract because she claimed that she had never been paid for any of her acting jobs and that Cube had stopped their developmental support of CLC, which put the group's future on hold. And in February of 2021, just a few months later, Cube confirmed that she would no longer be a part of the group. Group and they granted her the termination of her contract. So it's been a while, and we've heard from a few members that Cube is doing nothing with CLC. So can't can't put a lot of faith in yeah, that trash company. Bummer. <laughs> Who knows if we'll ever get that official disbandment or not? But like, uh, bummer. I liked CLC and thought they made cool stuff. So bummer. Yeah, it is a bummer. Cube. Cube is always a Cube. bummer. Um, well, their most popular music video is their single Helicopter from last from 2020. It has 51 million views, beating all their other music videos by quite a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so let's check Here out CLC Helicopter. Okay, if you'd like to watch along with us, press play when I say go.
Three, two, one, go. Okay, so helicopter sounds immediately. We won't be lonely at the top. Ooh, they look so glamour. Angels. They do. Yeah, where you have kind of like black and white outfits. Title card. Helicopter. Yes. So the main set of this is just like a box video where they have kind of like a gridded dance floor and then they have these like LED lights. They're not LED, but these like bars of lights that are hanging down. And like galaxy nothingness. Mm-hmm. A lot of male backup dancers. We got a lot of glamour shots of ladies in different neon situations. Ooh, that dress. Oh my God. It's interesting the way CLC uses the backup dancers in this music video or in this particular song. Yeah, because they have set what? Seven members. They started with five. They added two. Yeah. So. It's kind of rare to have a group with that many feature this many backup dancers. Yeah, I remember loving these outfits. They're like army green to like, you know, give a like military like vibe, but they're like flowy, pretty dresses and they're like belted and stuff. Ooh, hair jewels. Man, that dress that is That dress crazy. is wild. It's probably really difficult to put on. I actually hated those outfits. <laughs> I just think they look really cheap. Yeah. I, I can see. The glamour outfits don't look cheap, but no, the army green, expensive. like flowy peasant top with the corset over it. I don't know. It just felt very like early 2000s in a way that I wasn't into. Yeah, fair. That's a cute. That's a great outfit. High pants with that little top. Always love big pants, small top. Laser, la la laser. <laughs> Ooh, that's a cool. That is a cool move. move. I was trying to think of. I think the only CLC choreos we ever learned were Hobgoblin and Black Dress. Black Dress, yeah. Both very fun. Yeah. Both were fun. Black dress was a challenge. Yeah. The Hobgoblin was one of my favorites we've ever done. Oh, that I was love so Hobgoblin. fun. That was so fun. Just the attitude of it. Yeah. This one Piano's has a attitude. similar, like, <laughs> bend on the ground yeah. kind of. One of these girls is wearing a flight suit, and she looks great. <laughs> Wow. wow. CLC. The journey, the journey never, never ends. ends. Ooh, the irony. Yeah, that's it like does, a punch. Though. It does. Yikes. Well, I'm sorry, CLC. Um, I hope all of y'all find jobs soon and that Cube like lets you out of their basement so that you can live your life. Yeah, and get paid for it. Yeah, she's <laughs> always. Uh, always a bummer, Cube. Always, always a bummer. A bummer. Um, well, it's weekly recommendation time, and we are just going to continue to reiterate that we recommend Idle Gossip by Alexandra Lee Young. <laughs> yes, we just have to recommend Idle Gossip. We thoroughly enjoyed reading it. It was so fun from beginning to end. We loved talking to Alex. Um, and if you're interested in pre-ordering the book, which comes out on September 14th, we have a link for it in our link tree, um, Idle Gossip pre-order. And it's just a simple Google form. And if you pre-order it before September 14th, you'll get 
some swag and it's really cute. Yeah. So get your copy, um, enter our giveaway to win a copy. Um, just get one because we're definitely going to do book club next month because yes. we stayed after long with Alex to ask her spoilery questions and I'm yes. going to need to put them in that episode. And we got it. We have a lot to talk about. I have so much to talk about and I can't wait to hear what y'all thought of it. And we can cast this one again and like, I don't know, book activities are fun. So yeah. Get and the this book. was ultimately a much more fun read than our last book club choice. So I think if anyone was maybe a little bit alienated yeah, if by you the don't previous trust book us, club, I understand. That's if you fine. Don't trust but us. just like, please believe that this is a good book. <laughs> yeah. And we do, we do stand behind it. Um, so get your copy and join us for book club next month. Yay. Um, and in the meantime, if you want to send us your book thoughts or any other thoughts, we can be found on social media at Pod. Emails go to amakpoppod at gmail.com. Um, you can join our Patreon to get extra episodes for book club and other fun things. Patreon.com slash amakpoppod. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail, 181-AMAKPOP5. We have a P.O. Box, P.O. Box 26096, Los Angeles, California, 900 two six um we have spotify we have youtube we have we're a million places you can also get to our discord in the link tree y'all know how to find us at this point Mm -hmm. um the link tree is in the bio of our twitter and our instagram yeah you got it you got it you'll find us (laughs) we're out there all right uh thanks for stopping in um go pre-order your book see you later bye Bye -bye. jongyan you're our inspiration 